0: Hello, and welcome to episode 22 of The Wind Thieved Hat. I first came across Cass Holman through the Netflix documentary Abstract The Art of Design. If I'm honest, my interest was piqued first by the fact that we share the same surname, but I soon became absolutely absorbed in Cass's brilliantly iconoclastic approach to creativity. For Cass, Play is a fundamental part of the human experience, shaping the people we become and the world we make for ourselves. Through a company, Heroes Will Rise, Cass designs tools for the imagination. These are much more than just toys. They're objects which invite curiosity, experimentation and original thinking. In this conversation, which was recorded earlier in the summer and down the line, so please do forgive the occasional audio glitch, We talk not only about Cass's philosophy of play, but also how she came to be where she is today. Cass tells me how she got thrown out of school, only to end up chasing lizards on the Galapagos Islands. She talks about her time on the drag scene in San Francisco. She explains why every designer needs an existential crisis now and again. And there's a great story about her grandpa's steel toe boots. Oh, and how Cass dealt with her work being plagiarised in China is just brilliant. I think you'll enjoy this. Cass Holman on The Wind Thieved Hat. Hello, Cass. Hi. (laughs) It's very nice to have you join me on The Wind Thieved Hat. I think this is probably going to be the only episode where there are two Holmans on at the same time yeah so, uh, it's, it's very nice to have you here
1: it'll be my first Holman uh, interview
0: yeah I mean I, I've no idea whether this means we're sort of distantly related perhaps I guess all human beings are uh, at some degree but um but yeah it's very nice to make this connection across across several thousand miles where where, where do where where do we find you today where, where where are you what are you
1: up to uh I'm in Hope Rhode Island Um, and you know, we're, we're still, um, we're on, um, in our third month of the COVID-19 kind of shelter in place, things are just starting to open. So it's been nice to kind of venture into the world and, um, here in the U S with a lot of the, um, kind of. Shit continuing to hit the proverbial fan. Um, Absolutely, it's, it's almost a relief that things, although, it, well, it's certainly not, um, not not extremely distracting that there are protests and quite a bit of civil unrest. It's kind of also a relief to see that people are um, are are finding ways to work through how. Um, extremely bizarre and um kind of uncivilized things have been since 2017 <laughs> yeah um yeah and yeah, and absolutely. to be honest it's um it's it's kind of promising i mean it's uh i think people are people have needed to to be able to act out for a while and i think it's just like it's it's um i think it's a really good sign that people are out and protesting and and um, reacting the way that we are too.
0: Yes, absolutely. On. It's um, it's a kind of state of affairs that um, uh, that that was 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 going to happen sometime, I think, and maybe uh, maybe COVID nineteen and this, the, the the last few months have been some kind of catalyst.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's it's also it's it's I think that it's kind of you know with um with how shockingly um, unprepared we were and how underfunded all of the, our systems that should be here to keep people well. I think, I don't think yeah. anybody realized how, how um, underfunded and how kind of poorly that would go. Of course, like we, we all hoped it wouldn't and, and we all hoped that, that our leaders would kind of step up. But, but I think that also, in, as it relates to education... Um, and healthcare, I think that, that in the last week, like people are becoming more aware of how well-funded certain, um, you know, military and police, uh, departments are in contrast to health and education and yeah. childcare and, and, you know, teachers and, and nurses and doctors. And, and, and I, I think that it's, it's a little bit, I think people are becoming kind of a, a little more, um, you know, of course, like it's it's never great when we don't kind of um, trust democracy. But I think that, that that transparency is is gonna. I think people will become will be more apt to um, take advantage of whatever transparency there is and be a little mm-hmm. more cognizant of where our money is going. And and it's so it's it's so blatantly obvious. How much more money is going into the military and the police than healthcare and education at this point? Yeah. But I think there's no way that can't change after this. Yeah. So, yeah, it's tricky and it's very, it's distracting and it's. Um, I have to say, it's it's um, it's really it's quite hard. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Like, are are uh, you finding
0: that you've you, you've been able to work during the you know during during the lockdown, uh, particularly has, has that affected your own. Um, Capacity to to create and feel comfortable and to have ideas.
1: So I live on five acres. I have um, a bunch of woods and I have a, you know, there's like a a brook that flows through my property and a few structures. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a retired summer camp. So I have all kinds of weird little busted up buildings and lots to fix, which I love. I love a project. But, um, but, uh, I've had a really hard time being in my studio, <clears throat> doing you know the type of work that the design work that I usually do, um, and kind of my meditation and my therapy of sorts, uh, which is also kind of usually done through a, as a creative outlet, has been um, to do things like, you know, this tree fell down and I I got my chains off and running and was out you know cutting it up into firewood and then chopping yeah. firewood and then. Um, I started carving, I started doing like chainsaw stump sculptures. So I started just like carving stumps.
0: Wow. Do you still have both of your legs?
1: I do. I do. Yeah. I'm very, I watch a lot of, I, you know, I had a, I had a friend who, who used to do a lot of work with chainsaws who gave me a lesson years ago. And I'm, okay. I'm very careful. And there, and of course, like there are a lot of YouTube videos about carving bears and things out of with a chainsaw. But so my I think my my I, I have a really hard time focusing on designing for something that is in the future. Um, yeah. And I think that's just because, you know, ever since it's, you know, starting in February, if not earlier, anything you know, this whole spring was, I, I, there were a lot of exciting things that were meant to happen this spring with kind of conferences and talks and collaborations and visits Uh to future projects that I was very, very excited about that were all over the world. Um, and, um, and, you know, all of that was canceled and, and all of that took, uh, you know, was at least six months, if not more in the planning. And, um, my partner, Alistair, and I were uh, about to start, we we have a, um, we, we got a place in Providence and I was going to be moving off of the, out of the camp into the place in Providence and renovating this thing into my studio. So, so and all of that's canceled, like everything yeah. that right. I'd been planning for years was canceled. And so I, I still, I'm getting better at it because this, I do have one project a design project that's well underway and definitely happening and, um, and that I am designing and it's a place, place that we can talk about in a minute, but that it, it took me a while to kind of like mourn or process through the way that I am used to working, which is I okay. imagine something and then I imagine hundreds of versions of it. And then I work on it over and over. And then I like, build it and draw it and build it and draw it and make a tiny version of it and make a big version of it and watch kids play with it and talk to teachers and early childhood specialists about it. And then it's real, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, I'm having such a hard time trusting that. And I don't, you know, I do, I love the process, but for me the process is tied to that it will bring joy and transformative play children. And so, you know, feeling like, well, I don't know, is this museum going to ever have more than 10 children in this space? And I, you know, my, my design, the intent of my design is to bring children and adults together and have them interact with strangers and, and, and have them experience play as a form of communication and as a form of, of um, you know, uh, coming together and collaborating with people that they don't know and maybe wouldn't have talked to otherwise, and so it's very strange when I'm in the back of my head, kind of thinking, or m- maybe the people who use this will never be able to talk to each other because they'll be too far apart. You know? <laughs> yeah. So my yeah my creative my creative process is it's it's the it's shifted to yes. the Im- yeah. a very immediate satisfaction of. Carving, like like taking a chunk of wood and yeah. and having a huge impact on it with the chainsaw. <laughs> it's pretty transparent.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Firing with the chainsaw sounds like an excellent idea. Um, so, so um, let, let let's talk a little bit about um, about uh, a bit more generally about your work and, and, mm-hmm. what, and what you do. So, you've you've said that you design for play, and I wanted to uh, ask you what, why. Why is play so important?
1: Well, I'm not a um, neurologist or a a psychiatrist or psychologist or um, any of the many fields that actually study play where there are so many specialists who are um, continuing to research and discover and try to promote the values and benefits of play. However, I am an armchair fan of all of them and kind of use their, I use their research and their words, which are, you know, highly valued based on their degrees and their experience um, to try to promote the value of, of play, because I think it it is, it is undervalued. And I, I, I believe it's absolutely uh, as important as eating and sleeping and in particular in childhood that, that play is is of course the, the work of childhood, um, and that children and I think many of us remember this how how serious play was. You of course see it in the flow and the and the intensity with which children play, but but they're resolving very very real very important things through play with uh-huh. each other and with themselves with their own um, experiences and identity and. Um, an understanding of the world and their place in it, as well as with each other when they're playing together and negotiating um, and, you know, and kind of coming to understand, you know, interactions. Oh, and
0: when, when when we think of play, um, very often the, the, the word toys will, will, will come to mind. You're a little bit uncomfortable with, with some of the conventions around toys, and, and you said that you prefer tools for the imagination rather than Yeah, the toys. I think...
1: I think our association, I get very caught up on semantics. Um, and I think for me, like I, in a way I use word, I play with words quite a bit and in conversations, either conversations with my students or with my own writing, um, I, uh, Sorry, I'm going to be very rambly. I have to warn you because this is um, being that I live on five acres. I often don't speak for hours, <laughs> okay. if not days, at a time. And no
0: worries. No, like, no, no, no. It's, still no, it's good. A
1: early. Unlike with um, many conference calls that I have and don't love having, um, I'm I'm in my studio, you know, and I have shoes and pants on. so this i'm holding i'm that that's i am i'm much more um i'm here voluntarily in a way that with my conference calls i'll be out like picking weeds cleaning the pool like (laughs) raking the leaves during the call so just so you know i am i'm in a a contained Uh, space
0: (laughs) that's good don't start the chainsaw
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, I, I was asking about um, tools for the imagination versus toys, and I, I, and I think one of the re- really interesting things that um, you that, that I read when I was doing my research for this um, for this conversation is how you observed that a lot of toys that we give to kids have a have an end objective in mind. You know, they, they direct the kids at a particular outcome. And yeah. They're trying to create a puzzle or something. And, and 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 you much prefer it when when uh, the people often kids using the um, using what you've created ha- has more agency over where they take things
1: play is and can be everywhere in the same way that creativity is and can be everywhere you don't need to be in an art studio surrounded by paint and clay in order to make art or to be creative right like mm-hmm. you could yeah. be sitting in a Concrete parking lot, and and be creative. Um, And so it's it's just like a limiting farce if we if the more that we think that we have to be in these specific, you don't have to be in a gymnasium, a gym, or at a health club to exercise. Right, (laughs) we can exercise everywhere. So for me, when a child has a stick or something that they've appropriated for play, that stick can be a sword or um, a spaceship or uh, a monster or a snake or um, a character they can invent. You know, this is my friend or this is a superhero. And their imagination, their mind is collaborating with that object and projecting onto it. They're inventing what that thing is. Mm-hmm. Whereas with a doll or, you know, G.I. Joe or, um, I don't know, Superman or Barbie. Um, that thing has an identity, right? So they know that it is a person. And of course, like they're all of, usually they're characters from a known movie or show or a comic book, which is, yeah. which is wonderful. But it's also like, it limits what that, what, what they can, how much they can add to it. Right. So the child's imagination, it can invent a new thing for Superman to solve. Um, but Superman is a known, like the stories are known. They're reenacting someone else's imagination. Yeah. And which, you know, then I can argue like, Oh, that's collaborative and that's great. But it also, it's still, even so when most of their play is done with objects that have an identity and that story is given to them, it's, we, we aren't giving them the chance to be inventing that story. And so we're, we're also kind of through taking these stories. And I talked You know, I think a lot about play and identity and imagination and identity. And Mm -hmm. in play, a huge part of what's happening with children is they are figuring out and understanding how to be in the world, who they are, how to exist. And when we give them these stories, we're actually telling them who they should be. Mm -hmm. We're like giving them options and they have to choose. Well, am I more of a... Um, Barbie or a skipper or am I like the, which, which which of these, am I like the Dr. Barbie or am I the um, explorer Barbie or am I even, even those, which I think we would celebrate because at least Barbie now is either a doctor or an explorer. Like it's, it's still, it's still a known kind of Mm. archetype of identity.
0: Yeah.
1: doesn't let them figure it out and explore it on their own and invent ones that we, we might not even see, which I do think we're starting to see now, at least um, with a lot of the kind of intersectional identities, people of color, uh, queer and non-binary people and people like it's, I think that there's this kind of beautiful coming out and I think it's going to change how, um, like how children are allowed to play as soon as it kind of, Reaches that, like you think it's kind of eking slowly into culture in ways that will make yeah. its way into what, what, and how children are allowed to play. Yeah. But so yeah, that absolutely. that ultimately is is my objection to to um, kind of the overly designed toys and the stories that go into that is the the limits that that puts on imagination.
0: Um, and what what about your own uh, your own play? How did you play when you were a kid?
1: I um yeah I was outside uh, any time it wasn't raining <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or snowing. I grew up in Northern California. I I have a lot of memories of kind of being home from school before anybody else. I was home. I think I had a few hours before anybody else got home. Yeah, and I would um, put on records and rearrange the living room and reenact entire movies. <laughs> we had okay. we we had the um, the Sound of Music soundtrack and West Side Story soundtrack. My mom was a musical yeah. fan, so we had right. a lot of musical <laughs> records. And I would, you know, I I would reenact favorite scenes. And then my sister and I used to, to make up, we choreograph um, music videos. Um, we had Billy Joel. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea where these records came from. I don't think any <laughs> other than the musicals my mom probably chose or maybe somebody gave them to her as a gift. But whatever yeah. records we had, I would just kind of play and make up dance routines too in the living room.
0: I think <laughs> most most households in the 80s had the uh, the sound of music and a billy joel record stacked uh, yeah. somewhere you know it's kind of an yes. kind of ob- 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 obligation um uh, and um <laughs> how did you end up becoming a designer from that was it was it did it all flow quite naturally was uh, were, were, or, or did um, some of the people i've spoken to in these conversations found found that they, they, they took a wrong turn and there was a, a bit of a diversion required to get them to where they should be but um, how, how was it for you?
1: I mean I think it all flowed exactly in ways that make sense but I think if I, I say that and then when I describe it to you you, you could say like oh, wow that sounds like a lot of wrong turns but I don't really think there are any wrong turns. I think that when we all the things that I've done have informed how I do what I do. So for much of my childhood, I wanted to be the captain of a Greenpeace ship (laughs) rather specific yeah. Um, because I've always uh, cared deeply for uh, animals specifically. And, and, you know, when I was in the late seventies and early eighties, Greenpeace was, um, you know, one of the, a champion of that. And, um, and of course being ambitious, I needed to be the captain. (laughs) Um, And, um, but I also, I, I, in my, in my family, um, you know, the fact that I was, I think it was clear I was creative, um, but that wasn't a thing that you, that you did being creative was kind of like being a nice person. Like, it was like, right. oh, and yeah. you're, you know, like, oh, that's nice. So you'll, it's really nice to get uh, the drawings on the cards or, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so, so that wasn't even an option or that wasn't even something that I might be when I grew up. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I, I went to undergrad uh, and, and at first was studying, um, science, natural sciences, but was found that very quickly that I was absolutely terrible at, um, at most of, um, well, I was terrible at college. (laughs) I was utterly unprepared. I went to UC Santa Cruz, which was far more rigorous than my, um, public high school was. Uh, and in fact, I was kicked out of my public high school for writing an underground newspaper about, um, various issues including that my junior and senior year that in high school was when Operation Desert Storm happened. Okay. So we were protesting Realful. quite a bit. Yeah, and my, my high school was quite conservative. The, the principal of my high school was also the pastor of the local church.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so um, we wrote this underground newspaper for two years and then ultimately were um, expelled, which wasn't legal, so that was demoted to suspended. Wow! So you,
0: they they tried to expel you for writing sort of subversive
1: literature. Mm-hmm. We knew it was a big deal, but also didn't feel like a big deal. I think by that point, we were. It was quite. Um, uh, I was quite aware that certain leaderships were a farce. So, long story short, I, I've struggled in education for most mm-hmm. of my relationship with it. And after two years of undergrad, I lost kind of all of my scholarships because I did so poorly, you know, I, I because I, I did well in high school, aside from the expulsion <laughs> and wrote great letters. Like I, I got a lot of student and because we were you know my family was broke. I got a lot of student aid and a lot of scholarships from from smaller mm-hmm. organizations, um, all of which I lost because my I, my grades were terrible once I got to college. So, um, and I also just didn't quite know why I was there. You know, I loved my art classes and I loved my feminist theory classes at at UC Santa Cruz. We had an incredible, at the time it was called women's studies. And I was just so excited and inspired by those conversations and about social justice. And, um, but, but I still was grappling with like, what, what is that? mean for what I want to be when I grow up. I think I had to take a year off and it wound up being a little more than a year, but I worked uh, for my uncle who was a herpetologist in the Galapagos islands. He and my aunt had been studying there since the seventies. And so I went and chased iguanas um, for a year and a half and had some incredible experiences there, but also just kind of reiterated that I am in fact Bad at science <laughs> because um, I, how, how are you I, at catching the iguanas? I'm great. That's why they kept me because I, I was really good at catching iguanas. I was really good at getting to places that other people couldn't get to. Yeah, because I could rock. I was rock climbing. So um, okay, that was that was incredible. And and um and I and what was missing for me there was I I was having a hard time. Like a, there was no creative outlet, you know, like you can mm-hmm. only make so many sand castles <laughs> kind of yeah. on these different islands. So, um, but, but what made so much sense to me there. And when I went back and started like, you know, again, kind of doing other stuff, like the, the biodiversity and the relationship between things like that, this, that the sea cucumber being overfished was wiping out this, thing which impacted okay. this. So I really yeah. while I was there, I was so struck by and and came to understand biodiversity and systems. Uh-huh. Which later when I did come into design, um I think it's impossible for me to see one product without but needing to understand its entire system. Uh-huh. Not just not just its system of, of manufacture, but the whole kind of cycle. So like I can't look at a toothbrush without understanding the schools that are supported by the tax dollars of the factory that makes the toothbrush. Right. Yeah. So, so that had a huge impact. And when I, when I went back to school and kind of finished up with a, I majored in uh feminist theory and fine art, which in my mind makes the perfect toy designer. Um, I'd been cooking quite a bit. Even when I was in high school, I had a job in a, in a bagel um, bakery um, and decorated the cookies. And then when I, um, all through college, I had um, nearly full-time jobs, which is also contributed to why I did so poorly. Because <laughs> I had to work a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, but so then when I graduated, I was cooking and I, you know, I was like, well, you know what, this could be pretty good. I it's, it's nice to, have a steady flow of income and have time to, you know, go in the studio. And I was performing a lot. My, my creative outlet or my, my work at my art at the time was, um, was performing Um, uh, there in San Francisco. There was kind of a a really creative, wonderful drag scene happening. I mean, there still is, but, Uh um, and it was, and it was kind of a, a little more experimental exploration of genders. For example, I was a, um, uh, <laughs> was a sensitive centaur okay. as a drag character, you know? So it's like, yeah. yes, I had a mustache, but I also had a feathered, um, uh, four, four feathered legs and, you know, some extra, uh, wings and things. <laughs> um, and, and, that, I think, in the, the kind of playing with gender also relates to what I'm doing in my work now. Mm, um, mm. And I work... I, th- I think yeah. so,
0: some of these stories um, are, are, are fascinating because they, they seem to me to uh, underscore one of the things that I've noticed about your work, which is that you, um, you, you, you're, you're, you're reluctant to sort of follow convention. You know, you, you seem to deliberately question... Uh, the sort of the the, the status quo and the, the assumptions that underpin a lot of, um, a lot of design.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know that I, I don't think I have a choice. Um, and I think my friends and my partner would roll their eyes and agree, because of course, like that means I don't just do it with, with design. Like I do it with, with absolutely everything. So, you know, so, anything it is that that people that's like, this is how we do it. And I cannot, I can't stop myself, but say, why, why don't we do it this other way? You know? (laughs) So, so I think that, I think it's, um, um, I, there's something innate and, and maybe it's also just because in my childhood, I was, I was, I was weird. I knew that I was different. Mm -hmm. I felt different. I, I, I wasn't, that wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also kind of very early felt like it was okay. I was, I was in a way glad I was different because I didn't understand like what the conventions Mm. I didn't, I didn't, you know, like as a, when I was really young, I was told as a girl, I wasn't supposed to do that or I wasn't allowed to do that. And luckily, Mm -hmm. unlike many young girls, I said, no, you're, you're wrong. I can do that. Don't tell me I can't do that. There's no reason I can't do the same thing that boys can do, you know? Yeah.
0: In the, in the context of creativity, um, very often that's when that when genuine creativity occurs, when when people have the, the, the confidence or, or in your case, maybe just the, the instinct to, to just step outside of the conventions and to, to look at um, a problem or a challenge or a, or a, desire to communicate and, and approach it in a way that we've that we've not seen before that, that seems kind of surprising and that's um it's it, i mean it sounds like you're that's just kind of the way that you're wired
1: my first year teaching i really just felt like i had no idea what i was doing but it was actually really fun
0: <laughs> because
1: right. this i was truly with the students like we were researching together which is the dream for early education. So I was using what I knew about early education to work with undergraduate design students. One of the students in particular, I remember had a passion for car design and and he really wanted to to be doing car design. And, and I was like, can we just shift? Listen, I'm not going to talk you out of, you know, and he was like, Oh, you're like the weird rebel professor. Like, just let me design cars. Don't try to talk me out of designing cars. I said, okay, okay, I won't, I won't, if you, if you are passionate, like, I will support you, I will help you find, like, your magic, but, like, let's just shift, instead of saying car design, like, let's just say, like, um, mobility design, you know, what happens when we just, rather than assuming you're going to design a car, what if it's just mobility, and he didn't, like, you know, we kind of worked, we talked through it, and we landed on, like, transportation design, (laughs) which I still was, like, transportation still implies you know but yeah because i guess a car yeah. sort
0: of suggests kind of four wheels in a in a rectangular yeah. formation with two seats car, in the front and
1: right yeah. like why are we still we could have jetpacks by now if we have yeah. all of the brilliant minds who are engaged in in finessing a, a bumper to be more streamlined if we put those minds on jetpacks forget about it yeah. where's my jetpack already you know <laughs> And and it was funny because he wound up his work took so many interesting turns, and he kept, you know, he was like, "I'm struggling, I'm struggling," and I was like, "You are not, you are thriving." Because he's like, "But the but we have these systems, we have roads, so now we have to have cars, and so we're stuck with cars." And and by the time he graduated, you know, he kept he was telling me, "You know, like I'm having an existential, a designer's existential crisis," you know, which I I'm anytime I think all students or designers need to have that because Yeah, sure. Why why do we need do we even need to be designing anything do we need more stuff? Do we really need an improved case for my pocket computer? You know, do I do I really need this stand that holds it at a perfect degree so that my No, we don't need any of these things. This is also part of easy is boring. Yeah. But it was it was so wonderful to kind of like watch him kind of on his own and I had to be careful how much I said and how much I kind of let him discover, but him realizing like, Oh, right. We are only, we're stuck with this archetype because we have these systems. But if we were to just like start over from scratch, we would never start with the car. It's just that we already have these systems in place. And then I was like, well, let's, let's take the phone as an example. We still, we had phone lines that didn't keep us from undoing the telephone system and moving to satellites and cell phone towers, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it was, um, yeah, I think that that's kind of a, it was a nice process of, of stepping through, um, like you kind of have to understand how we wound up with these archetypes or why we wound up and in order to then see how bound we are by them and how liberating it is when you unpack, you know, do I need a to-go mug for my coffee or do I just need to get more sleep?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, right? I guess the longer we're, we're, we're on the planet as as human beings and as uh, designers, the more the more baggage we acquire and, and, and the sort of the, the more our blinkers, you know, the the the, the more powerful our blinkers become, and, and and I suppose that's one of the really interesting things about um, about engaging with kids is that kids are still fairly free of a lot of the sort of baggage that is going to get heaped on them uh, the longer yeah. they go on.
1: And the, I think for me, the 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 baggage that that I have a hard time working with is is the and this is because people ask me a lot like oh you know adults need play too why why are not you di- designed for adults to play and i'm just like i'm not i'm not qualified i can't i don't even understand all of the baggage that adults need to work through like like yeah. where too but but mostly it's that that there's um there's like a self-conscious like we, at some point we think we need to perform adult, you know? Uh And so we Uh start performing adult in a way that then we really forget how to play, which often just means like how to be ourselves. I think we, we take our, we begin to take ourselves more seriously, which, you know, that's not, I mean, things do get more serious. Um, but, and the stakes get higher and, you know, our hearts get Mm -hmm. broken and, we have to work in offices, which I think are pretty, can be quite soul killing. It's harder for us to get past the kind of self-conscious and, and they, I see it often in adults, almost like it, it looks very similar to panic sometimes when mm-hmm. I'm working with adults and they're trying so hard to play, but they know they're not, doing it right or they think people are watching them fail at playing and and it's really it gets really hard for adults to access just Mm. like being present in themselves Mm. and again this is where i'm 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 not qualified to figure out what it is that's going on but this is just like my own observations and and that's kind of why i say like wow there's so much going on here that is keeping us from being being able to access kind of just True play.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting with when we think about uh, creativity and um, and and the arts. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of my experience that in order to um, you know, in, in order to have a kind of successful practice, you, you you have to divorce yourself from the outcome a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in a way. You know, I, I, I work with sort of. Creative professionals, and and I encourage them to 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 not evaluate too soon. You know, to to make deliberately make some space in their creative process to sort of forget about where you're going and 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 to run 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 free a little bit. There's, um, Mm -hmm. do do you know the um? There's, uh, have you heard of Carita Kent? You know the. Oh
1: my gosh! Of course, I play her. I play her. um, You know, there's a 20 minute documentary about her. Um, for work, I played for almost all
0: of my classes. <laughs> Brilliant! All right, yeah, yeah excellent. So well, I've I've got a, her art tables. room. Yeah, yeah, I've got them hanging on my stairway. But what one of the things I often quote about her is 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 that she said, "Don't create and evaluate at the same time. They're, mm-hmm. they're different processes." And I think um I think that's the thing, isn't it? Very 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 often we'll we'll have an idea, one idea, and then we'll, we'll go right. Is that a good idea or not? And and as as adults, we. We we the, 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 we sort of we overload the rational part of the process um, and don't afford enough, enough time to the free part of the process, which is what uh, what kids are doing. Let, let, let's talk, if we may, about um, a specific project, okay. which um, uh, rig, rigamajig, um, mm-hmm. which um, you've rather modestly described as a glorified pile of two by fours. <laughs> Yes, for, for anybody who's not seen the the Netflix documentary or or or, or, or indeed come across Rigamajig yet, so it, it's a sort of kit of kind of bits of plywood and bolts that that kids can uh, assemble to create whatever they choose to create. But you, you you took some some really interesting design decisions, I think, in in the in a the, in the fabrication of it. So so the, the the wood is is deliberately heavy, and some sort of some some of the bigger bits. Require kids to collaborate in lifting them, and the and the, the wing nuts are, 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 are black and dark and look mm-hmm. kind of solid, like like proper uh, grown mm-hmm. up bits and pieces. Could could you just explain a little bit about the you know why you took those design decisions?
1: Yeah, for one thing, when when I was when um, and I was working really closely with um, with a, a brilliant woman named Abby Ehrlich okay. and. Um, and so along in the process, like she was just giving me enormous confidence to make, you know, like I kept saying like, well, the ideal thing is this, but like, well, par- like there's nothing like that anywhere that we, s- that, that we see, you know, children playing with, like our adults going to let their kids play with this. And, or like, is this going to fall on kids and hurt them? You know? Mm-hmm. And she kept saying, you know, like children understand risk. Like they, when they have something heavy, there is a perception of risk. That's much different than when they have something that's made out of plastic. So for example, if you take a, a four foot long pool noodle, give it to a child or anyone, they'll swing it around and smack you with it. Right. Cause you can, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can, and it's fun. Right. Yeah. But if you hand someone a four foot long plank of wood, they are not going to do that because there's a perception of risk, right? We, we wanted them to have the feeling of trust. So when they walk up, kids will look at it and you see their eyes go get wider. And then there's this moment of hesitation where they're like, wait, really? I can play with this, right? And then when they see the nuts and bolts in particular, they often say, this is real, right Right. meaning this is not a toy this is a this is an act you know this is this is these are real building things this is a real these are real nuts and bolts and the 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 logic of the kind of large nuts and bolts and they needed to be i couldn't use regular nuts and bolts because we we wanted them to be very friendly to um you know that that i wanted to be accessible to even for three and four-year-olds who don't have great fine motor skills. So for them, just getting a nut and bolt together, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey is, 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 you know, part of their play. (laughs) Yeah. So there were a lot of decisions that made it that, you know, so it doesn't require any, any tools. They only, they can use their hands to tighten the nuts and bolts because we wanted them to be able to build something larger than themselves somewhat quickly you know, yeah. so that it would be about the thing they built and give them a chance to play in the thing they built rather than mastering a tool. Mm. Um, and in the same way, the rigamajig system, you know, it's, so it's, it's it is a, it is systemic creativity. So there's, uh, you know, the holes are spaced such that it's, you could call it modular, but it's, it will work. So regardless, you, you kind of can't put it together wrong, you know, things line mm. up when you put them next to each other, two of these makes one of these and if you put two parallel and then one perpendicular, it's going to work. So, so we kind of intentionally made it kind of work well in a way that, that, um, that again, they don't have to necessarily figure out the system, but as they play with it in order to understand how to use it, they can then kind of slowly, be more intentional with what it is they're making. Right. So, um, but the, uh, yeah. And then the, the rope, like these really large, it's almost an inch in diameter, this really soft, but very large rope, which is like, yeah. um, I think kind of comically large as are the nuts and bolts. Um, I think also they there, there are things that children don't often get to play with. Um, and so back to the idea that they're able to see that play is everywhere. I think it makes the the adult world or the designed world much more approachable yeah. for them. And then also, yeah. it was important to me that um, that the way that rigamajig, um, uh, the way it goes together, the way it works, relates to how they might actually build something later in life. So um, for example, other little building kits and systems, um, they're, they're great and you can make a little house or make all kinds of things. But the, but the, the way that the parts work is specific to that toy. Yeah. And it doesn't actually translate when you go to build a house or a shed or a table. Right. Uh Um, and rigamajig does. Uh, and of course, woodworkers would argue like you would never use brackets, you would use joints and whatnot, <laughs> but even so, <laughs> yeah, like structurally, yeah. like children have to learn, and they don't know that it's lateral stability, but in order to 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 free their friend from holding up one of the planks, because this I see this quite a yeah. bit, where there'll be one child whose job it is to hold the four foot <laughs> plank up while everybody's building off of it, and then eventually, They'll say like, hey, I don't want to stand here anymore. How can we make this stand up on its own? And so then they have to kind of make a base, which is quite simple. It's, you know, two pieces in a bracket. But they have just figured out lateral stability, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there are these really beautiful things that, again, because there weren't instructions, they now actually know why lateral stability works. They know how to make things stand up in a way yeah. that if they were just following instructions, they would have no idea why it worked. They would just yeah. know that they had a, the instructions for a table and they built a table, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. Versus
1: getting in there and figuring it out. now they know how to build a table and also a crane and all these other things. Cause they had to kind of do it wrong and they know why it works based on that. They've had it not work.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a great name. Did, did, did it take long time magic, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <clears throat> it reminds me of my grandpa my grandpa was a machinist and okay. um not one for excessive conversation to say the least <laughs> <laughs> um he was he was a character uh, and and I have to say easy is boring absolutely comes from him and his all through my family in ways that again like my partner is like can you get some more therapy please but it's like he um if there's time a very a very brief story that that i informs absolutely informs my work and my life came from my grandpa
0: lovely tell us please
1: he had his own machine shop and um was making machines that made airplane parts all my memories of him and all the photos are he's wearing kind of the typical like Carhartts, uh, yeah. and, and steel toe boots. And whether we're out in the woods or in, you know, Thanksgiving at somebody's house, same, you know, he would put on the clean ones. So there weren't metal shavings <laughs> everywhere because yeah. there were metal shavings all over his house. But so we, um, and at some point, he was a little bit sick and we were, we had Thanksgiving with him in the hospital and the, when the nurse would come in and they, the nurses would kind of, you know, do all the check on him and they'd tuck him in and, and, and they kept kind of tucking the sheet in to his, his feet around the bottom of the bed. And yeah. when they leave, he would, he'd say like, Cass, fix the, pull the things off my, he wanted me to loosen the sheet and pull the socks off his toes, um, which I relate to. I hate it when things like my toes get. I don't like having things touching my toes. (laughs) So I said, you know, um, I said, Grandpa, do you think that, uh, do you think your toes are sensitive because you've been wearing steel-toed boots your whole life? And he said, what are you talking about? And I was like, uh, you know, you wear steel-toed boots your whole life and maybe that's affected your toes, and he said, I've never worn steel toe boots. And I was like, okay, have you also mm-hmm. lost your mind? You're not in here. You're in here because your stomach, not your brain. What are you talking about? And I'm looking around at my family and I'm like, am I the only one here that's noticing? And he, and I was like, your boots. And he goes, go look in the closet, go take them out. And I took them out. And sure enough, you know, they're shaped like steel toe boots, but they didn't right. have steel toes. Okay. And I, and I said, but you, you work around, like you have these, you know, thousand pound chunks of steel all over and you're always with all of the metal in it. And he said, steel toe boots make you lazy. Okay. And I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) And, and I, I said, what, you know, I said, well, if you, if you, are wearing boots. If you know that your feet are covered and you drop something, you won't move your toes. You won't like move Uh your feet. You'll just let it bounce on your feet. And that's actually dangerous. I see. And I've talked to, uh, you know, I, I work with other metal workers now and they're like, okay, no, that is a farce. That's totally bonkers. But <laughs> I was like, well, that's my family. <laughs> <laughs> Still Toe boots Make You Lazy is absolutely easy as boring, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> One of the great moments uh, that, uh, in, in that Netflix film that I, I watched um, uh, a while ago was um, you get a call from somebody who says, your designs are being ripped off in China. And, yeah. um, I, you know, a, a lot of uh, designers and creatives have had to deal with with mm-hmm. plagiarism. And, um, I, and what I love is, is how you end up dealing with that situation, which is that yeah. you go to China and you end up making a great friend there and mm-hmm. finding the whole experience of seeing how kids are um, using equipment very similar to your own really illuminating and actually it seems like it enhances your own sort of perspective and process and, and what could for many people be a real negative turns, turns into what at least appears to be from the program a a positive.
1: Oh, it absolutely is a positive. And and that's how I became connected with Angie play. um, Right. Which is in my mind, the, like the most idyllic model of education that we could ever have. My first instinct was, "Wow, that's not that's not what I had been hearing about education in China." So in a way, I thought, "Like, well, this is that's great because from what i have been hearing, it was like the strict training, and they weren't creative, and they weren't, you know, that, that it was like yeah. testing, testing, testing." And so, if they're using rigamajig, then like they're doing something right, you know, my, and I think a a big part of this is that, um, again, and maybe this is the kind of like the, when people are like, that's terrible. I will always say like, well, is it terrible? I don't know what, like, what are our goals? Right. What is my, Mm. what is my goal with rigamajig? My goal with rigamajig isn't that, um, you know, and, and my goal with my company was not like I want to build a multinational global, you know, company. And my goal is I want to design things that are meaningful and will will have an impact on children who need this type of opportunity for play. Yeah, it's like I want to impact. I like education is broken. I want to. I I'm going to impact education like the way we like gendering childhood and gendering play is broken. I need, I want to impact that. So, you know, back to like, well, what are my goals? And, and so if my goal is to have an impact on that, then even if I'm not the one making the money or selling it, that it, it's happening, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. These children
1: in China are able to live. So that said, um, you know, also as a creator and somebody who has had to, and <laughs> like, you know, it took, I, I, I had my company for 10 years before I um broke even, you know, like I was, I was supporting, you know, Gmo sold beautifully, but it never, I, I somehow was always supporting it. Like I was actually like, why am I donating GMO to the world? In fact, and often it wasn't even donating. Like I was paying people to take GMO, you know, everybody was buying it, but I couldn't get, I couldn't break a profit. Right. Like I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a, I never was able to in, make the investment in the uh, inventory to get the price down, to make it. I see. You know. yeah. So pointing when, um, when, when I went and saw the the way that they were using rigamajig um I you know I was like okay this is great like they, they hadn't they they it was slightly different because they were trying to use it outside so they had it they were using different types of wood in some ways I you know I was like okay I'd love to help them they ran into some of the manufacturing problems that I ran into but I've solved so if we're going to work together, I can help you solve these problems. Um, and you're, you know, you're going to need to license the design from me because, you know, and, and, yeah. and they kind of said initially, and this wasn't on play. This was a different kind of okay. like on play was buying it from another organization.
0: Right.
1: And so I was working with this organization and they kind of said, well, you know, the, it's it's being made by a number of different factories. Like we're not the only ones that are knocking off rigamajig. Um, and I did have a patent in China. So we kind of also started to have that to contend with. But but it, it was just such a different approach to intellectual property. They kind of said, well, if other people are knocking you off and not paying you for it, why would we pay you for it? You know? Um, and I said, well, because... I will I have other designs that that you'll have the rights to and I also saw immediately that 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 if if I didn't have the money to be kind of selling it in China and trying to enforce our intellectual property and kind of, you know, shut down people who were knocking it off, who were, you know, unlicensed versions, nobody would and it would just be it would be happening without me regardless right so it's kind of like there were all these factories can be making and selling rigamajig in china and i could have no part in it or i could find one that's going to be my partner and work with them to to kind of represent it in china
0: yeah either fight it in a sort of futile way or 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 take advantage of Opportunity. yeah
1: and also i don't like i don't i couldn't i just couldn't justify fighting it i want children to be playing with it yeah you know yeah
0: yeah absolutely and it's fascinating that they that those kids uh, they they seem to have at least a lot more time outside than my kids do at their school, and one of the things I noticed watching the film was they were playing in the rain. And um, when, when, it, when it rains at my kids' school, they're, they're all inside. You know, it's, um, it's
1: and this is this was the thing actually that was that I felt a little bit conflicted about yeah. with the with the the whole um, documentary about me is that what Ms. Chung and Angie play are doing is so much bigger. Like they're right.
0: like
1: like that. I didn't feel right that. That story would be told, or Angie play would be introduced as a part of my story because it's so much bigger than that. You know, okay. Um, okay. not only are they playing outside, but the they their um, the whole method, the pedagogy is based on what happens outside in the playground. So everything you saw them using ladders and boxes and tires and all the things, they the children dis- decide. There's no There's no prompt. There's no, they go outside, they grab what they want to grab. They build and do what they want to do. The teachers are observers and they're out for two hours and raining or shining. They put on the rain suits, all the things. And then music starts playing. They put everything away. Cleanup looks the same as play. (laughs) Uh There's no difference. The children are like, "Yay! now we're putting everything away. Then they go in the classroom and they draw. So, and that's called play stories. So they all draw and they're, these are, you know, third, four, threes, fours, and fives. So yeah. it's preschool kindergarten. They're going to be the, these, this is like the ultimate in the creative making human school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These, yeah. they're, they're um, <clears throat> and then they, so they use this as a way of, of talking about what they did outside on the playground. Um, And then the teachers who were the observers have taken photos or movies and they will then move on to what's called play um, sharing. So play stories are the children drawing and, Mm -hmm. and um, telling the story of what they, what they were doing, what their challenges were. And then in play sharing, the teacher will pull up an image or a video of something that they saw that morning. And then collectively the children will talk about it in other models. They're, the children, the child, the child does it, and then the teacher will help them connect it to kind of a known principle or knowledge, right? But in yes. Angie play, they don't do that. In Anji play, they say, "What were you curious about?" And the children collectively talk about what their what experiments and what experience they have had trying to get the tire to roll down a ladder and up a ramp, right? And so, yeah. so. The, the, the way that they form knowledge is collaboratively and through experience. So there's yeah. no expert. The teacher isn't saying like, well, here's the right way to roll it down and back up. The kids are all saying, well, I tried that and it didn't work, but I did this. Do you remember that time two days ago? I did this. Here's my drawing of it. So the, the group together is forming knowledge driven by curiosity. And it's so brilliant. And the, the shift of how the children come to understand what school is, and what learning is and what play is, is, is just like, I, I've, I find it so incredible. And so they discovered Rigamajig, said, this is amazing. We want to use this for what we're doing. They couldn't buy it in China, so they started making it. You know, I, yeah. I found out, they said, you designed this. We want to work with you. Okay. And so I've been working with them since to design other new materials for them.
0: Brilliant! It's a great story, and, it's, yeah. and we're 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 almost out of time. So, what's really nice, I think, is that it it brings together a few threads of our of our conversation. It, it seems to me that it's it's a collaboration that um, that that changes uh, the way we think about um, the way we think about things and the way we think about play. And 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 just thinking back to your experience on the Galapagos Islands and sort of seeing how things are connected. Um, mm-hmm. I read, I read a quote, uh, an article that you'd written, and, and you wrote, "The person we become as adults has everything to do with how we play as children." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And maybe, maybe things are just a bit more. Well, they are much more connected, interconnected than we, than, than we sometimes think, and uh, and we need to, um, if, if if we hope <laughs> to make some changes to um, you know our society and the way we think and the way we live. Then it then it, it has to begin with the kids doesn't it really?
1: oh absolutely absolutely and 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 I think um, uh, you know when I'm looking at the, um, my students my design students who I would say are you know perhaps maybe you could argue like on the more creative or like be maybe the most creative of their generation in terms of like, the types of people that are going to go to art school or be at RISD. And, and I see that they have a really hard time with needing to do things right or not knowing what the right answer is. When we give them kind of open ended assignments, they struggle because they came up in an educational system that, that is teaching to the test that has right answers. They're all very intelligent. So they knew how to make the right answer when they were told but yeah. I but because of that, I see them I see that they're uncomfortable with with like failure or with not knowing or that moment when they when I, if I don't give them an assignment, if I you know say I, you know here's here's a you know a, a chunk of clay, make something. A lot of them have a very hard time with that, and I don't think that that 50 years ago that would have been the case. I mean, I, I know for a fact that, 45 years ago, that wasn't the case because that was me. And I loved not have you know, we didn't have assignments. Yeah. Well, 40 years ago, yeah. I suppose. I, I see the impact of either having that or not having it in the 19-year-olds and the 25-year-olds that I work with as design students. It's been amazing to talk to you,
0: Kath. Yeah, I wish, Richard, thank I you, wish, you so much. I wish we had another, uh, another hour and a half, but you've got... Uh, yeah. you've got your, desi- your design team are heading over, are they?
1: Yeah, we have, a, um, we've got a really fun, uh, the Liberty Science Center is a really large science museum, children's museum in um, Jersey City in, in New Jersey. Um, it looks out on the um, Statue of Liberty, <laughs> which is incredible. Right. Right. And um, we're designing a toddler uh, play space for them. Um, and they're a great client because they, they kind of have, believe in the same ethos. They, you know, they want everything to be open-ended and they want the toddlers to be challenged and it's a little younger demographic than I usually work with. So we're, we're all still trying to acclimate ourselves with, um, with toddlers versus five year olds, you know? Um, and it's really fun. It's fun. And I've got it. I've got a great team. Uh,
0: and um uh, we should uh we should finish i guess by giving a shout out to to Carita kent shouldn't we um, oh my
1: gosh yeah and yeah, I, can't, yeah. I cannot recommend the um the it's a dvd i don't think you can watch it online but it's called um, on teaching and celebration and the, okay. the, I'll check the one out. that i love is called we have no art okay and and she talks about happenings in a way that's just wonderful so i okay. I'd recommend that
0: amazing yeah amazing figure brilliant all right well thank you very much Cass have a, have a really lovely day I'm so yes, grateful yes. for your for your time and uh you know m- m- maybe I'll pass across um at some point but I, l- I love the work you're doing and I-, I really love the way you think so it's it's been great to have yeah, you on thank as a guest
1: you for, for your work promoting and and being enthusiastic and inspiring creativity
0: you're very mm. welcome
1: <laughs> have a nice day Richard this was fun
0: take care all the best okay, bye-bye bye-bye So there we go. The brilliant Cass Holman. If you'd like to find out more about Cass and her work, then visit CassHolman.com and do check out The Art of Abstract on Netflix. And it's always a delight when I meet someone who loves Carita Kent as much as I do. And if this was the first time you've heard about Carita and her work, then do visit Carita.org where you can find out a little bit more. I'm not sure who's in the hot seat next. If there's someone you'd like to hear interviewed about their creative life, then do drop me a line at hello at richardholman.com.
1: That's all for now. Take care. Goodbye.